0: Support for Terrestrial comes from Westland Distillery. Together with area farmers and breeders, Westland is developing new varietals of barley never before used in whiskey. The result is an American single malt whiskey that reflects the unique qualities of the Pacific Northwest. To learn more, visit westlanddistillery.com. Okay, test, test, one, two, test, test, one, two. All right.
1: Could you start by telling me your name and how I should introduce you in this story? Who are you? Uh, I'm Dave Rank.
2: I am, uh, boy, what am I now? I'm I'm the former uh, head of the U.S. Embassy in Beijing.
1: After 27 years in the Foreign Service, stationed all over the world, from the tiny island of Mauritius to Afghanistan to China, Dave Rank resigned. He quit over climate change, or more specifically over President Trump's decision to pull the U.S. out of the Paris climate agreement. And now, Dave's talking about his decision. I'm Ashley Ahern, and you're listening to Terrestrial, a show that explores the choices we make in a world we've changed. Dave is a career diplomat. He didn't start out as a climate activist or even a climate guy, as he puts it. He grew up in a working-class town on Chicago's South Side. His parents were both teachers.
2: But I was never a deeply sort of uh, uh, environmentally motivated person as I went through my life, or you know that's not how that wasn't the prism that I I looked at the world. I would say I was sort of an ordinary
1: American. In fact, it wasn't until he joined the Foreign Service and was sent to China that he became aware of environmental issues.
2: You know, having lived in a country where the air is. I mean it is literally a a matter of conversation in in the US when you you know you turn on the on the TV you look at the weather report you know what's the is it going to rain do I need to bring an umbrella you know in Beijing what you do you look at what the air is like you know what the the AQI the air quality index is like you know do do I need to take a mask with me
1: Dave was posted in China 6 times while he was in the foreign service he started his career there fresh out of grad school and newly married he and his wife, Mary, moved to Shanghai for his first posting back in 1990, a year after the Tiananmen Square massacre.
2: Yeah, China was really, at that point, just emerging from decades of, of political fighting. Uh, you know, the Cultural Revolution was a dozen years in the past. So, you know, Shanghai 1990 was, was not the city of gleaming towers and, uh, uh, and really exceptional uh, range of choices. It was a constrained, gray kind of uh, backward city. <laughs> and, of course, if you have kids, uh, as a porn service, uh, I mean, it's hard to talk about married couples, even though I was the one being paid. Uh, my wife uh, was as much a part of the, the career as I was. Uh, but for kids, you know, they didn't pick that job. Uh, uh, you know, they they weren't drawn by the fascination of, uh, of uh, living and working in other cultures. Uh, and so, you know, every additional uh, member of the family you add is another sort of uh, factor of complication you know, in a relationship.
1: When his kids were little, Dave didn't consult with them about where the family would be posted next. But later in his career, when he was asked to go back to Beijing in 2016, he and his wife struggled with the decision. They didn't want to be far away from their kids, who were now grown up and living on their own. So Dave talked to his kids about the opportunity.
2: But one of the things that convinced me to go, in fact, one of the real uh, important factors in my decision was, one of my kids said, Dad, look, if you
1: have the opportunity to do anything on climate, you have to take the job. Under President Obama, climate change was one of the most important issues on the agenda at the U.S. Embassy in China, largely because of the Paris Climate Agreement. It was a feat of international diplomacy. Countries around the world committed to report how much greenhouse pollution they're emitting and how they'll reduce it over time. It took decades to negotiate, years and years of international meetings and summits, scientific reports. But the issue that really unifies the world, that, that you know,
2: 198 countries agree on... Uh, is the threat of climate change. You know, there's nothing out
1: there that unites the world like the need to take on climate. And in December 2015, even with all the other international conflicts and disagreements going on, the Paris Agreement was finally signed by nearly every country in the world. Because of their size and economies and their consumption habits, Dave says it was clear the U.S. and China needed to keep working together to tackle climate change and hold each other accountable for their contributions to the problem bringing these two powerhouses together became a personal mission.
2: I mean, I think we're really the only country at this point uh, that has the ability uh, to uh, sit across the table from China and sort of bend their decision-making. There's no other country uh, that has the depth of expertise that has been doing climate issues uh, uh, like the United States. The EU, uh, I think, has... uh, Just the way it is structured and, you know, it just doesn't have the even though they're as an economic entity about as large as the U.S., uh, you know, they just don't have the the heft to be able to sit down with the Chinese and, and do what we could do.
1: When Dave took the job in 2016, he knew he'd be in China when President Obama's successor took over. He just didn't know who that would be. In the days and weeks following the election, Dave watched as the Trump administration began rolling back environmental protections in the U.S. Soon after he was sworn in, Trump approved the Dakota Access pipeline. He proposed funding cuts to the Environmental Protection Agency and ordered a rewrite of the Clean Power Plan. He eliminated some protections on streams and drinking water that Obama had put in place. He ordered a review of fuel efficiency standards for U.S. automakers. The list goes on. And then?
2: The United States will withdraw. From the Paris climbing accord. And that, that was I think the day of it would have been Friday and early June. And you know, it really hit me, wow, we are we are honestly gonna do this.
1: Dave knew he couldn't uphold the move, even though there have been plenty of times over the years where he had to enact policies he didn't agree with for presidents of both parties. So Dave Rank made a
0: gut decision, and it ended his career. Support for Terrestrial comes from Westland Distillery, who is leading the emergence of the new category of American single malt whiskey. Distilled, matured, and bottled in the heart of the Pacific Northwest, Westland whiskeys bring a new and distinctly American voice to the world of single malt. To learn more, visit westlanddistillery.com. Support for Terrestrial comes from Reach Now Mobility Services by BMW. Reach Now gives members access to hundreds of BMW and mini vehicles for flexible, one way trips around Seattle. Drive yourself or get picked up and dropped off at your favorite destinations. Learn more at ReachNow.com.
1: Dave was traveling when he got the news that President Trump had pulled the U.S. out of the Paris Climate Agreement. And he learned about it from an online news site, not from the White House. At first, it just didn't seem real.
2: Certainly, I knew about the talk during the campaign and afterwards about pulling out of Paris, but it never because it seemed like such a bad idea on so many levels. It seemed to me one of those uh, one of those decisions that ultimately, you know, because it's so terrible for American leadership just from a pure, uh, purely political level. It just didn't seem plausible that we would actually leave Paris.
1: You couldn't believe that this was happening.
2: Uh, I, I, I. At least I would put it like this. I would have, uh, I would have had a, a much more thought-out exit plan, had I had it struck me that, that it was plausible. In other words, I. It, it, in, in, it, at one level, it was a very gut instinct. I just can't do it.
1: Dave didn't have long to respond to Trump's decision. He tried to call his wife, who is in the U.S., but they normally used FaceTime, so she didn't recognize the number he was calling from.
2: And she thought, well, this is some some fundraiser, you know, some uh, robocall. So she hung up and <laughs> went went home. And uh, there, on the answering machine in our in our home phone, uh, was a call from an 861 number. And she thought, well, that's kind of strange. And my son said, Mom, you know, he looked it up. That's, that's dad calling. And I think she had a sense at that point that, uh, you know, I don't often call her at 2 in the morning to chat about the developments of the day.
1: Everything happened really fast from there. And Dave says there wasn't this dramatic moment when he stormed into some office and yelled, I quit.
2: You know, I didn't resign on principle. What I said was I'm not going to have any role in the implementation uh, of this decision. In other words, and I'm not going to ask... People in who work for me uh, to do something that I wouldn't do, so I'm not quitting. But I'm not. But I'm not going to be part of this decision because it's wrong. Because it's wrong as a policy decision. Uh, It's wrong politic. It's wrong as a sort of matter of U.S. interests. But it's wrong for the you know the future of our kids. Uh, And you know just as a as a moral sense, it's just wrong morally. Uh, to do it. And I just couldn't do it. You know, I that's the first time in my career where those three aligned like that and where I was in a position that you know I couldn't say to my boss, look,
1: I'm not gonna do this, right? So you know, I just simply couldn't do it. The next day, Saturday, the news about Dave's decision was leaked to the media. And by that following Tuesday, after a flurry of emails and phone calls, Dave was out of a job and on a plane back to the U.S. But before he left, he says he gathered his colleagues at the embassy together. He told them that the work that they do is honorable and they must keep doing it. And that it's also honorable as a member of the Foreign Service and as an American to question policies handed down from the White House.
2: There is no value to a career civil servant or career civil service. uh, unless that civil service is willing to use the expertise that they accumulate over years and decades uh, to tell the president that's a bad decision what you're what you are contemplating or what you are suggesting is not good it's not going to be successful it's going to be bad for the united states i mean what 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 a country wants what the united states wants in its, its public servants is not people who agree with everything you want people who are thoughtful who are opinionated who are willing to put forward uh, their views, their strong objections to what's going on, because otherwise you have a, a government of yes-men.
1: And then, just like that, his 27-year career as a diplomat was over. Since moving back to the U.S., Dave started what he describes as a process of finding himself, beyond his career.
2: That I have an identity outside of of uh, Dave Frank, Foreign Service Officer,
1: But it's still big, you know, it's part of your life.
2: Uh, You know, you spend a quarter of a century, you know, my entire adult life, uh, really the one job I've ever had, and again, a job I really loved, uh, to now figure out, who am I exactly?
1: When they first got back to the US, Dave and his wife bought a used Subaru and drove across the country. I met up with him to record this interview when he was on that trip. He said it still feels like he's just on vacation, like the reality and the weight of his decision hasn't really sunk in yet. And he knows there are people in his life who think he made a bad call.
2: But ultimately, you know, you, you have to make decisions based on on what's in your heart. And so, you know, I'm I'm happy to discuss the the, the background of, of how I came to the decision I made, but I'm perfectly comfortable that there is not a human being out there who can argue uh, with the the." the, the the basis of my decision, which is my personal deeply held convictions on these things
1: do you do you think you'll work on climate stuff?
2: Uh, it was not the motivating sort of uh, focus of my life or my career, but now it's it's hard to imagine not being involved in some sense with some aspect of how are we going to deal with this
1: after Trump pulled the u s out of Paris, people around the world were angry and worried. The Paris Agreement wouldn't have solved climate change, but many saw it as an important symbolic gesture, a sort of down payment on global climate action. Dave also sees another way of looking at Trump's decision.
2: I think it gets it cuts through that that inclination to say, well, it's under control, you know, now there's a, you know, the US and the rest of the world have the Paris Agreement, and so I don't have to personally, I'm not personally invested. I don't have to make decisions on climate issues. Uh, because the government's taking care of that.
1: In the absence of federal leadership on climate change, cities and states are starting to pick up the slack. And Dave says he takes heart in the way the conversation has been changing since the U.S. pulled out of Paris.
2: You have to reflect about, and, uh, and, uh, and you have to make yourself a climate person in one way or another, because it really is your issue. It, I mean, it's your issue uh, in terms of whether if you're a religious person, uh, it's your issue in terms of, you know, your your duty as a steward of creation. If you are a parent, it's your duty uh, to your children. If you're a patriot, it's your duty to your country, your country today, but your country, the future. Uh, and, you know, they're just, the, you have to think in terms of longer term and in terms bigger than yourself. And it's tough. You know, we're not used to it, and I get it. I mean, it's really hard for me. Uh, so, so, uh, and and there, I, there's probably not one answer. There's probably not one. In fact, there probably we're a country of 340 million people. There are probably roughly 340 million answers to that, if not more. But the answer can't be it's someone else's issue.
1: Terrestrial is edited by Annie Aviles. Our producer and sound designer is Jonathan Hirsch. Lila Cherneff is our fact checker. Kristen Lepore leads our audience development. And Augusta Chapman is our associate producer. Our managing producer is Brendan Sweeney. Our theme music is by the band Tremor. Terrestrial was developed with support from the NPR Story Lab and were produced out of KUOW in Seattle. I'm Ashley Ahern. Thanks so much for listening.